When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. there welcome to episode 151 of love that album podcast my name is morris thanks so much for joining us this show is proudly part of the pantheon podcast network several months ago i was asked if i knew of the music of quebec prog folk band harmonium and if i wanted to speak with their songwriter and lead singer serge fiori for the show at the time I'd never heard of the band, so I did a little investigation into the back catalogue. I found out they'd recorded three studio albums between 1974 and 1976. Not a huge discography, but really rich. The amazing thing was there was a very definite stylistic progression between the albums. The first one started out as folksy in a bit of a Laurel Canyon sort of way. Uh, The second album sort of developed some of the signs of prog to the final album being really fully blown art rock. Montreal was a city that was very devout to prog music, and yet these albums aren't prog in the sense that I understood from bands like Yes or Genesis, or even from some of Harmonium's contemporaries in Montreal. Regardless of how it's labelled though, I discovered I really, really like their music a lot, so I was very keen to get Surge onto the show. If this was only going to be a conversation about Harmonium's music and its legacy, that would have been plenty, but there's another element to it. In 2020, all of the band's music was rearranged for orchestra by Simone Leclerc, a Montreal-based composer, and assembled as Harmonium Symphonique. The fact that this was able to happen told me not only how adaptable the music was, but how popular the band was in the 70s that such a project could even be considered. I discovered that they were really huge and revered across Canada, not just Quebec. They even had a dramatized TV show about them. Apparently it's shit, but that doesn't take away from how big they must have been at the time to have something made about them. The Harmonium Symphonique is called Histoire Sans Parole, Stories Without Words. Forgive my terrible French accent. And it's been released as a beautiful four record and two CD set. In my conversation with Serge, you'll hear us talk about this new recording, but we'll also talk about the original Harmonium music and the other bands that were around at the time. And we also speak about the path taken for this music to be played by as few as three people on the first album to it being given a whole new life by an orchestra. I had a lot of fun talking with Serge and I hope that you enjoy the conversation. I want to put my thanks out to Christian Swain over at Pantheon and Lisa Roy from Rock and Roy Entertainment for making this conversation possible. Thank you so much. Uh, okay, Joe will now give you the contact details and we'll go straight into my discussion with Serge Fury. I'll be back at the end to talk about episode 152 of Love That Album. Stick around. I got a dusty old pile of vinyl records sitting on my floor. We hope you're enjoying the show. You can find previous episodes at lovethatalbumpodcast.blogspot.com or you can get it along with any of the other great music discussion shows at rockandrollarchaeology.com, all part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. To keep up to date, subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify or your podcast app of choice. You can email Morris with feedback or album suggestions at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash love that album and start a music-related discussion. Rogers, Williams, Mojo, Nixon, Haggard, and the whole lot more. 
Welcome back to episode 151 of Love That Album. And I'm immensely excited to have on a Zoom connection from Quebec. I'm not sure if you're actually in uh, Montreal or just outside Montreal, or should I be saying Montréal? Montréal. <laughs> no, I'm in uh, Lac Saint-Jean, uh, which is about 500 kilometers. Oh, okay. So you're not in Montreal at all. I go uh, sometimes now. I mean, I, I was in Montreal all my life, but I moved here uh, last year. Very nice. The great Serge Fiori of Ammonium. I hope I'm pronouncing everything correct. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I, love, I love hearing this with your accent. I just, oh, love, good. I just love that accent. <laughs> As I frequently tell Americans and uh, Canadians, I don't have an accent. Uh, <laughs> me neither <laughs> oh good exactly neither of us have an accent once again congratulations on the release of this amazing new orchestral interpretation of your harmonium material the new album is called Histoire Sans Parole Stories Without Words before we get into talk about that new recording I'd like to talk about the actual harmonium era to start off with as I said before we started recording I confess that the music of harmonium was new to me up until a few months ago. So I've been listening to the first couple of albums. I ordered myself copies of the first two CDs and only about two, three days ago, I got Le Ptad arrive yeah. in the mail to me. So very, very excited. But I wanted to ask a little bit about the prog scene of Quebec and of Montreal because I've been finding out that there were bands, which I also took a listen to, like Slosh, which had something of a funk edge. not dissimilar melodically in to my ears to harmonium but with a more maybe aggressive approach i don't know if that's yeah. the word to some of the music Another band, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, Conventum, which sounded more dark and dissonant to my ears. to know if you could tell me just a little bit about the scene in the early to the mid 1970s in Montreal was Harmonium and these other bands were you like compadres did you hang out together did you swap information what was the scene like well, it started in 72 and um, like for us we weren't supposed to be a prog band at all <laughs> it was just, mm. it, was just uh, it happened while I was writing it but yeah everybody knew each other uh, we played some shows together big shows outside with all the bands and everything and we went to see each other i mean i saw october october quite a few times i loved Pierre flynn you felt the connection and you felt the vibe like in montreal you really felt the vibe that something was going on you know everybody was feeling it because before that it was more uh chansonnier troubadours and stuff Something happened. I don't know if something was in the water or <laughs> or in the pipe. <laughs> some, something happened and, it, and it, we just felt it. And there was Beau Damage, which is another big band, which was more pop. But all those people were trying to do the same thing, which was in French, put an emphasis on the music that wasn't done before. First of all, it's very hard to sing in French 
those kind of songs, you know, it's like uh, you have to, you have to find around the right sounds, the right tonality. And uh, so there was a lot of work. Finally, we all got out together. <laughs> we all got out at the same time, 74. And uh, wow, it just whew, skyrocketed. The bands that sung in English, who I guess who were predominantly from the UK, so bands like Yes and Genesis, were they really, really big in Montreal? Was the explosion in these Quebecois bands in relation to any of the bands that you'd heard previously outside of Quebec? You mean when, the, when those bands came to Montreal? Yeah, well, just in general, it was like hearing from fragile and close to the edge it was huge it was just huge genesis uh and i also know that they did some of their first shows in montreal oh wow uh, you know they were starting to play and tour and practice and montreal has been for a lot of bands like a starting place because the audience just went nuts and it's nice because it's french audience a lot of them don't know english but they don't care it's just the music of it you know and there was such a big influence on the scene in montreal i mean i listen to those bands all the time i would like, see all the shows i remember seeing lamb lies down on broadway at the forum wow you know my god it's like uh, what, what's happening <laughs> what's, what's going on it was a nice influence, but we had to get rid of that. My goal was to put acoustic music with rock and prog music. So with the 12 string and all that, like trying to, you know, marry the old Quebec sound and the new one, you know. So I would try not to listen too much to those bands, but it was really hard because I loved them. The first time I played your debut album, just called Harmonium, I was thinking, this doesn't sound prog to me. This sounds like they've been influenced by, notwithstanding that I don't know much about the singer-songwriter type of artists who were prevalent in uh, Quebec at the time, but it sounds to me like you were listening to maybe the Laurel Canyon sound or maybe, you know, Joni Mitchell and Neil Young. Joni Mitchell is my goddess. That's because I've heard that I, I started writing lyrics not in a straight, linear way, because I heard an interview of her and she said, when I write something, I have a camera on left, camera right, upstairs, downstairs. So lines come in from different places. You're not saying I just, I woke up this morning and I had a coffee. That's just like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like who cares? But I tuned in very much for her. And uh, I think that's where it started for me. It was really Johnny Mitchell that did it for me. But the first album was, was not Prague at all. It was just folk influence and singer-songwriter, like, you know, James Taylor and Johnny Mitchell. So I had no clue I would get Prague. Somehow, with, with the second album, Les Cinq Saisons, then it, something went somewhere else, you know? Mm. But there was no intention of that. I didn't know people said we were prog. I didn't know it. It's really confusing in a way to sort of think, I mean, what defines prog? Is it multiple time signatures? Is it not pop song structure, verse, chorus, verse, chorus? If it's like that, then okay, yes, your music is prog, but you don't have multiple time signature changes. A lot of it sounds that I can recall to 4-4, four, four. and we'll come to this later as well. It sounds to me more like you've always been a classical sort of person because you know within symphonic works you're exploring themes going from one place to the other it's not like in popular music verse chorus verse chorus and a, a lot of what you do certainly by the time you get to Leptard and uh, Le Sancte Saison is like that yeah. it, it sounds to me like you've been equally influenced by classical music I agree I think that's where the title of Prague came from but it's not that at all it's very classical and again I didn't know I was writing classical melodies and, mm. and and have the classical Italian influence. Uh, I wasn't aware of it. I was just writing and stuff came in. It's just when we got the orchestra in for Leptad that I realized and the director made me realize that this is very classical structure. And the fact that I would go from one place and turn right and go completely some other place and I think makes it that it was modern and whatever. Now I accept Prague because I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll take I'll take the title. Sure. But, but when we did the symphonic album, uh, and I was in the hall with the eighty musicians, and I heard Simon Leclerc's arrangement, then I realized. Hold the thought. I definitely want to come to uh, Simon in a couple of questions down the road. But 
would it be equally fair to say that as much as the, the classical influences and the prog influences, well, that you're a Beatles fan, I hear that strong sense of melody. And I've got to say, like, one of my favorite songs off the debut album, and please forgive me if I'm not getting this right, uh, is it Viel Cora or is it Yeah Yeah Cora, where you're finishing off with a... Is that a tribute to Hey Jude? Where the Beatles sit in your life? Well, it's a song because I'm them and I'm here. You know, it's, it's not complicated. 12 years old watching Ed Sullivan show and crying like a baby and saying to my parents, uh, you don't realize what's going on right now. I was only 12 and I told them that. I said, the music just changed and the world just changed. What I hear, even as a kid, this is going to go very far, very quick. So then with my friend listening to all the albums all day long of the Beatles and, and just not understanding how they could do that. Just trying to understand. It's, it's just genius. It's just just so amazing. It's certainly a common story. I've heard so many musicians say, I was watching Ed Sullivan one night and I decided I was going to become a drummer. I was going to become a guitar player. And I actually spoke to a man who said to me, well, after watching A Hard Day's Night, he knew that's when he wanted to become a film director. So there's taking a different tack, but the Beatles influenced people in so many ways. But Hard our, our Day's Night, when I, I don't know how many times I went to the theater to see it. But there's also the fact you want to be a pop star and be run after by girls. You know, we just... <laughs> That atmosphere is just so fun, you know, it's just so great. But me was the writing. It doesn't make sense. It's like every song, every song is a masterpiece, you know. And then I, I turned around and I went to Led Zeppelin, you know, totally rock and roll and all that. So it's like it was the two biggest turn on that I had. The show at the Forum of Led Zeppelin, I said to my friend, Jimmy Page cannot play those licks live. <laughs> oh, yes, he can. Oh, yes, he can. And he throws you right in your face like, like oh, my God, I have to go back to school because I, you know, I didn't have the chance to see the Beatles live. So it's when I saw Zeppelin, I said, oh, my God, this is possible. This mm. is some people can do it. Turn to your own music because that's predominantly what we're here for. Uh, <laughs> so, by by the time we got to your second album, La Cinq Saison, it's still got that beautiful acoustic and melodic approach that you had on the first album with something of a pastoral feel, and yet the structure of the songs all of a sudden are getting more complex than from the debut album. And the 17-minute tune Histoire Sans Parole, it's got several parts featuring Mellotron, which to my ears gives it that pastoral feel, and maybe that's where the prog comparison starts but you've also got a tune like Dixie which has a strong feel of 1920s jazz and I was playing this to my wife and she said oh that's so playful and I thought yes that's a that's a really, really <laughs> great expression but either way this album is a big difference to the first one so I wanted to ask you what were you wanting to do differently by the time you said you'd done the first album did you say right I've done that thing I've done the folk thing I want to do things completely differently or how did it evolve and how much of a say in the arrangements did uh, Louis and Michelle have in any of your music but I guess in particular in going in this direction well okay when we, we we toured on the first album for two years and I couldn't stand it anymore because like just playing with my left arm you know and I had to do all those uh, soprano voices because we were only three and I was like and I said no no this is not where I want to go it's, it's not where I want to go and I want to be a folk singer it's not that at all. So when I met uh, Serge Loca, the keyboard player, he just got a Mellotron. I remember inviting him 
in my house to just show him some songs and see if he could try it out. He was trying to connect his wires and all that. He was on the floor and I was playing the song and I see his hand going on the Mellotron. And what I heard there, the sound in the plane, was that was it. That was it. I, I had to write from there, you know, from that place. Mm-hmm. And once that came together, then the writing made sense and the, everything glued together. I forget it's five seasons, you know, the fifth season, the inner season, blah, blah. So the first one, spring, summer is Dixie because I heard there's Dixie bands in summer in Montreal and all that came, uh, came together. And then I was, it was what I wanted to do uh, completely. So we played live again for a long time with the Saint Saison and it was, that was very fulfilling. When you started playing live again to play these new tunes from the second album, did you change anything when you replayed tunes from the first album to accommodate your new vision with making yeah. things a little bit more complex? Great question, because that's exactly what happened. <laughs> exactly that. We couldn't play the song the same way anymore. And then we were five musicians and we had a horn, we had the, the keyboard, itself. It's an amazing player. So we revamped the whole songs, and then the that was great. I was like, you know, because I liked the, the songs of the first album. I just I just wanted more out of the arrangement. That's all. So, mm. Yeah, that, that was a gift. It was really a gift. I was watching a couple of videos on YouTube, and one of them was like a half-hour documentary, Harmonium in California. And by that stage, you'd already sort of gone to the seven piece. So this is obviously late in the band's life. And the music just seemed to have this huge intensity. The music of the three of you in the beginning, this gentle pastoral feel sort of gave way to something a whole lot more intense. As you went on, you wanted to become, I don't know, more like yes or something, just something a lot more, not necessarily louder, but just something, I don't know, I, I can't think of a better word. But Well, you got it. You got it. The whole setup was very intense. I remember uh, when we were rehearsing it, I didn't want to prearrange a thing. I wanted every musician to play his heart out and just so I would sing the song and once the, the, the lead guitar would do the line was improvising it was like okay that's going to be there that's what you're going to play and the drummer farmer was like you know the whole thing we did in the rehearsal we didn't write it down we didn't do anything else than just play play and play and it grew the intensity was was right there to ask you a bit about your thoughts like prior to recording this new project Harmonium Symphonique uh, Histoire Saint Parole I wanted to know what was your impression of other recordings where so like rock bands had worked with orchestras so I'm thinking of things like you know, Metallica went and recorded an album as rock band with orchestra or Portishead had gone and done an album with an orchestra there's been orchestral interpretations of Beatles music and Ben Folds in recent years has worked a lot with orchestras and back in the day John Lord composed the concerto for orchestra and rock group back I think in 1974 but yeah. what you're doing with Harmonium Symphony is something completely different. And as I said, we'll come back to that, but I wanted to know what were your feelings along the way with bands who had gone and interpreted their previous work with an orchestra, orchestra and band. It was all great stuff. The only issue I had with it is that if there's a voice, if there's a rock band there, it's not symphonic. It's not classical. For me, you know, if I would sing over the, the recording and if I'd play my 12th string and blah, 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 no, it's just... 
me singing with an orchestra on it. I know we'll come back to it, but when Simon and I uh, met, there was no, no voice, no nothing, classical, symphonic, every line played by the orchestra. And once I started hearing some stuff, I said, ah, okay. We got it. But did you enjoy like the, the deep purple stuff and the Metallica oh, yeah. stuff? I mean, was that still something that was pleasing to your ears? There's nothing like a, a symphony orchestra. There's nothing like it, plus all the sounds you can bring to it. There's just the atmosphere, the mood is so big. It's so nice and it's like a trip. You just lift up. Everybody tried to imitate orchestras with synthesizers and stuff. So if you take that out of the way and you put an orchestra, you don't have the same presets. <laughs> okay, so let's come to the new album, the orchestral interpretation, Histoire saint I want to look at what the origins were. Now, I was saying to you before, I've seen a couple of videos online, and one of them was, I think, from 2018, where Amonion was being... Homage. Homage. So I'm not sure what... The the origins of that were, but seeing these, and yes, there were singers, there were local yep. Quebecois singers, I'm sure were all really, really big over there, but there was this full orchestra and doing all your great music, but with this orchestra, was that where the spark came for this new project? That on, <laughs> that on. It was a surprise. We didn't know, didn't know there would be an orchestra. It was just, no, they didn't want to tell us. It was a surprise. So we were sitting there and then it went to commercial and all those chairs come in, 60 chairs and all that. And all the, then I see all the musicians sit down and, and then Simon Leclerc comes, he's the director there. You get all the arrangement, and then Patrice and show all of the singers. And when I heard the beginning sound that Simone did, the introduction, it was like shooting me in the, in the heart. You know, like, I went and meet Simone after the performance, and I said, you. <laughs> <laughs> you. <laughs> the look on your face and the rest of the band in the audience, the TV camera goes to your faces, and what you're saying about feeling shot right through the heart, you had this look like, where did this come from? I had no expectations. I, I, I Kill me now. This is brilliant. Yeah. No, vraiment. It's like, I can go now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But at the same time, Simon was doing a show with 300 musicians on Mont Royal, the, the mountain, and with the producer. And the, they finished the show and they said, the producer said, what can we do more? You know? And they both said and said, we can do Three, the three albums of Harmonium, symphonically. So that's when they called me, I met them, and they were very scared because they had to tell me that my voice wasn't there. It wouldn't be there. Yeah. And I applauded. <laughs> they, didn't <laughs> they didn't understand. Like, man, that's it. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Uh, but I got to say, like the vocals, not just your lead vocals, which are really very, very distinct with the falsetto and some incredible harmonies on those original songs. The vocals were a major part of what you originally did. So I find it fascinating that you say, no, I don't want words here. I don't want not just my voice, but apart from choirs doing ahs, I don't want any vocals on this. And the words, I'm not a French speaker, so I have no idea if you're singing well, you've already gone and said we're not writing words about I'm having a nice cup of coffee. But I imagine that that was a strong part of the creation of these original songs. How in your mind did you say, oh, yeah, I'm happy to give this up? For the reason that while I was playing it all those years, I heard it instrumentally in my head all the time. And actually, I was trying to be an instrument with my voice. Yeah, the words are extremely important. The stories are extremely important. But that's not what we were doing that at that time, you know, it was like, but I knew that the melodies would hold on. They would make it. I, I knew it would, you know, the string section, the old hobos, and the, I just knew it. So for me, that was the defiant way of doing it. Mm. And Simoa agreed because if he would just accompany the band or me, or okay, what's the point? He did a lot of that in, in, his, in his time and uh, he didn't want to do it anymore. So tell me a little bit about Simon Leclerc's background. Now, I did read that he was a screen composer. And to be honest with you, that didn't surprise me at all because there's something about the new interpretations of the music that sound very much like a great film score. Yeah. The music is really telling a story in the 
way that a lot of great soundtrack music does. So tell me a bit about Simon. Well, that's it. I think Simon, because uh, he worked a lot in the States, Warner Brothers Studios and all, all the great studios for film. Mm-hmm. And that's why we, we thought he was the only one who could do it. He was the only, only maestro that could do that stuff and make it like a soundtrack. It's music for film without the film. <laughs> well, that's great. And it made me feel that right away. It's an album that I can listen to, not because not because I wrote, the, I composed the thing, because I don't even think about it. I don't care if I'm there or I'm. It's just I close my eyes and I'm on a road. That's his knowledge. That's he's the best for that. He's he's just so his imagination is amazing, but also the respect for the, the original music and the way. He puts all of that together. See? When we did Left Out, it was Neil Chotem that wrote all the, the orchestral stuff. He was the director of the Montreal Symphony. Mm-hmm. And Simon studied with him, which is very strange. He understood what Neil wrote harmonically. It went from there. So the tunes that Neil had gone and arranged for uh, Leptard, did Simon say, right, well, nothing to do here. This works perfectly. Or did he rearrange Prologue and the Epilogue and a couple of other tunes that had got orchestra on uh, on that album? No, the Epilogue and the Prologue was pretty much Neil's writing. That was replayed with a much bigger orchestra. But when you do that, it's for sure you have to adjust things because the structure is very heavy. You know, the, the 80 piece orchestra is heavy. So to make the round, the right uh, arrangement is, is, so you have to adjust stuff. You have to change stuff. But basically the harmonic six note harmonic writing is new. For that, for the, the tunes that was never written classically, that's the work you really have to work very hard. Well, that's something that I'm always fascinated by is arrangement. I think that arrangement is an equal partner with composition and taking the music created by a small number of instrumentalists and expanding it to the many. You, you've got to decide, do we keep the tone or the mood or do we change it? You're playing around with dynamics. You may be playing around with keys and tempos and with time signatures i mean maybe not so much in this case but in other contexts so i wanted to know did you and simon in the beginning of this project establish any rules as to what was sacred or did you say to him go for it come up with whatever you want to come up with and then i'll see what i think or did you just say no i've heard what you did at homage i know you'll do brilliantly but did you speak about arrangements before he started this yeah we we spoke about you know the the only thing important was keep the feeling of the song doesn't mean you're going to write it the same way you know it's like but what simon did and he told me would do for five weeks he didn't write one note I sat in a studio and listened to the three albums in his earphones all day long to catch the way I wrote, to put in his head my writing, what I choose, what I, the, the way I move with the, all that. That's all he did. And then he started writing. But like you say, I just said, I don't want to see you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear from you until you send me a demo in, in three months. I just, mm. And that's an other things so, yeah go for it i did another show before which for a circus in montreal with all of the songs with uh, three kids that are just out of their minds and i we, we did all the arrangements of the old songs mixed with the, the version of the, the old song and we just went rock and roll and we went totally nuts and it was another way of playing those songs. And I just loved it. I don't want to stay like lost in the 70s. I enjoyed it. So when he sent me the first demo, I just couldn't believe it. What was the first tune that you listened to when it came back? He wrote it in the same order that the, the albums are done. I mean, uh, this album is done. So I heard it exactly as it would be at the end. The intro, the prologue, the machine, the same song. That's something that I was finding really interesting because often we know that there's an art 
art to creating a sequence on an album. A band can record songs in any order, but they say, right, this is how it plays out best. And yet for Histoire Sans Parole, the new album, it's not like, right, here's the first album, here's the second album, here's the third album. He's chosen a different sequence to play because he's telling a different story. Did he ever say to you, look, this is why I hear this order different for this interpretation of your music? And did it feel strange to you? No, no, exactly. That's like, because if, if we do the albums again in order, song by song, what's the point? If there's no point into that. It's, no, it's, it's, it's done. And also to make the orchestra work from one song to the other with the, like you say, the dynamics, the, the moods, the things. He, he had to rearrange, to reorder it. He had to. He wanted to. It was a completely new interpretation and I just loved it. What you had named on Leptad as prologue at the beginning and epilogue at the end and this album has And that was the first surprise, you know? It's like, he starts with the end, right? Like, there's a little entrada, the little intro, the... The end of the the time starts. I just love it. I wanted to talk about a specific tune just to sort of, like, give the listeners who may not be familiar with this work yet. And I say yet because I want them to all go out and listen to this and buy the album. I wanted to talk about the contrast in arrangement from the Ammonium, original to the orchestral version was Chanson Noir from Leptad. And it's one example of a song that has multiple moods in it and is hugely different in the orchestral version from its original version. I don't understand what any of the lyrics are about. Like you, I'm just sort of focusing here on the music. On passe toujours des mains blanches au massage, tout est bien qui finit mal. La ville à mort, ça divise tout ton corps, ça crée un faux départ. Quand l'homme qui vient d'entrer, c'est le même qui sort. You've got a, a samba at the start of it, which sounds to me very like uh, Astro Gilberto. And you go to something of a, a soft shoe, jazzy feel. And then there's something like later on in the tune that sounds like it's, I, I'm listening to this in a late night piano bar and I'm the last one there on the bar fly. All these, all, and, and that's just three of the moods. There's like multiple moods. There's other things in there. This is not the traditional verse chorus, verse chorus structure of a pop song. And then Simone's arrangement, is lovely, but it brings different images to my head. And the final section sounds like lush and even slightly melancholy. Once again, as music in an old movie, as opposed to sounding like it's being sung by a man who's got life's regrets on his plate, which is what's in the ammonium version. And I mean, I use Chanson Noir as my example here, but it could really apply to anything. And when you heard the orchestra, not just reading the arrangements on paper, but when you heard the orchestra, how did you feel the first time you heard this and thinking, wow, he's gone somewhere different with this? Was it what you expected from reading the manuscript? First of all, I can't read music. Okay, there you go. Okay. <laughs> Take that out of the equation. <laughs> that settles it. <laughs> when I heard the demo, I think I, I, I took a big whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect answer. <laughs> it just went. Wow, this is magic. This is just magic. And uh, it's, it's funny you say that because the, the, the intro of Chanson Noir is an homage to Gilbert. Wow. Okay. I picked it. Very good. You see, that's the thing. He plays with it. He brings it somewhere else, but it's the same origin. It's the same basic feel of the song. So 
That's why I say he's the master of rewriting stuff. You had this wider sonic palette to work with. I remember I remember being in the hall when he recorded it in the Symphonic Hall in Montreal. And it was one cry after another cry after another. It's so touching, that, that project. It's music that was done 45 years ago that he brings back into another uh, galaxy. You know? It's just, he's amazing. And yet, I know a lot of people sort of talk about, oh, the music of 40, 50 years ago. I mean, we're talking about the 50th anniversary of a bunch of great rock albums, like 50 years is a long time. And the classical composers are somewhere in the next world and they're saying, hold my beer. You know, and, you know the music of, the music of Beethoven and Chopin is still being played 200 years later. The music of Bach is being played 350, 400 years later. It's, and we're talking about 50 years, like that's a long time. No, it, wouldn't, it will never stop. You know, actually we're babies <laughs> as far as we were concerned. Like the Beatles in 500 years, it's going to be amazing. And mm. I did, but I didn't mean it that way. I meant it that I never thought I would write something like that and that we would become classical. Never in my mind would imagine. It sounds like you completely gave yourself over to this, which is absolutely a delight. But do you ever hear like from other songwriters that they feel very possessive of their music? Because ostensibly what's happened is you've given your babies, as it were, to another person to do with as he saw fit. And that never went through your mind like, oh, I'm feeling a bit possessive about this. You just thought, here, take, do something wonderful with it. <laughs> take care of my kids. I can't stand them anymore. <laughs> I want them out of the house. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Go, man. Go for it. Just go for it. Because uh, that's the only way you can get somewhere else anyways. But something about Snow is that he would never do something that I wouldn't like. That's for sure. Mm. So we've listened to it regularly. And I, I had some issues at that. Uh, the first writing, I did have some issues and we changed it. To come back and change stuff, you have to go further you can go, you know, and then you can correct, not the other way around. I don't want you to do this, I don't want you to do that. And the guy's like, <laughs> paralysis, you know, it's no, it's no way. I wanted to bring up one other tune that I really, really loved. And this was an, a rearrangement from the first album. Forgive me if I'm going to butcher the name. Un musicien de, de autre. And the original version of this to me had this once again i said before laurel canyon that had this gorgeous personal folksy feel very laurel canyonish <laughs> orchestral version, like everything else, has this wider scope and there's a moment you hear for a brief portion, the snare drum comes in and the brass is playing this motif and it sounds like it's Gershwin to my ears and that's something that I never heard, would have imagined from the original. second and the third albums they had a more proggy feel in mind more orchestral in structure 17 minute tunes 10 minute tunes but was there a revelation to you from the first album with their orchestral feel any more so than the second or third ones because they may be more difficult to bring something to with a full orchestra well uh, yeah the, the, the scary part about that project was the first album for me it was like uh, oh my god oh my god but again you're dead on with Gershwin, because the best example of Gershwin is Pouin-Instant. Pouin-Instant was our big hit commercial radio machine. I 
can't hear it anymore. I just, I heard it so much and I played it so much, I just can't. So I said to Snow, something completely left field. And I gave him the example of Gershwin. And he did the most scary arrangements, like all these weird things with the, I just fell in love again with that song, you know. And Musien Parmi Tant was a sing-along and show, which finished with that and all that, everybody was up dancing, singing and all that. What, what do you do with that? Without the lyrics, how do you get there? I, it's a, and you just nailed it. We were very scared. You didn't sleep a lot. Was Simon always confident in, uh, no, I will bring you the right thing? Was he nervous at any stage? Oh, I don't want to disappoint Serge and the rest of the band. How did he feel? We were both shy about it. You know, looking at each other, we were both shy. I didn't want to tell him I, I wouldn't like something. He didn't want to... <laughs> <laughs> really two kids uh, yeah yeah he was freaking out sometimes like a lot he has the confidence and the talent to know that that it's going to be resolved that's for sure and i had confidence within total 150 while i was having another look just this last couple of days at the booklet in the box set it's a stark reminder of the times that this project came to bear fruit that it was recorded in. I'm recording this with you in late 2021. And this was recorded last year when the pandemic was new. And I'm seeing these photos and it looks to me like the orchestra is seated further apart from each other. There's the Montreal Symphony Orchestra. The orchestra is sitting far apart from each other. And there's smaller range photos where you're seeing musicians with masks on their faces. So can you tell me anything about how that was organized. I mean, I, I don't know what the lockdown measures, what the rules were in Canada or in Quebec in particular, but how did this get organized? I, I'm trying to think of the right words, but I, I imagine it's a big thing to to organize an orchestra to be playing in times of this pandemic. Yeah, it was the sitting down in meetings and saying, whoa, usually a string section, they're all on one on the, on the other, and they create the sound being very, very close together. We can't do that. It has to be six feet. Every musician has to be six feet from the other one, which creates three problems. The arrangement has to be so clear that even if they don't really blend because they're not on each other, you have to make it blend sound-wise. So the recording engineers, one was from California and one was from Montreal, and they worked together to buy, buy a video, uh, work together on placing the right microphones, the right place and all that. But once we started doing that, the stage wasn't big enough. So we had to build an upfront stage 20 feet longer to, to set everybody up so it could work. But the drummer and the timpani and all that is at 100 feet from Simon directing. That's almost impossible because he's looking at them trying to pull him in the rhythm and they're trying to look at him <laughs> it was very very complicated the recording was extremely complicated were there issues with latency so like say you got your percussion section at the back of this hall and was there like a fraction of a second i'm not just talking about simon as conductor but so like you know the snare drum player at the back have to react like even a fraction of a microsecond after he would have heard the string section at the front. Exactly. And once they started rehearsing, that was one of the first issues that, that came up because they were always late and they were usually they won't even feel because they're close to everybody. But that's what they heard. So like, so Simone would bring them back, you know, okay, all of those measures, you have to be one fraction of a quarter note in front, you know, amazing. It's just, just incredible work. And we had 16 hours to record the whole thing, not more, because of the budget. Did the orchestra have any time to rehearse? They hadn't played together in eight, eight months because of the pandemic. So they came in, we all came in, the arrangements there, okay, go through one, second, third time, record. Amazing. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. This album is a miracle. These musicians of the highest caliber, not just technically, but there's so much emotion and feel. I mean, I, I, look, I'm not a classical musician, but within the rock world, I'm sure, you know, you spoke a lot about, or you worked a lot off feel as well as instrumental technique. And, you know, we don't tend to think of that so much within the classical world, at least I don't. The fact that you're saying that from the time of the first night being played to the time of that's a wrap is 16 hours. It's incredible. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You know, it's impossible. 
I didn't think about it when it was being recorded. I didn't think I was not checking the time. You know, it's just but that's the way it happened. And, uh, and like you say, the feel. Some of the musicians knew very well harmonium and that music. Others didn't at all. And I think they pulled each other. There's stuff in there, and I'm so happy you talk about it that way. And I appreciate it very much what you're doing for that project because it's it's very very special for us. ask you something now that's not about the music as such but once again in this beautiful package the first thing before i even open it up there's this beautiful piece of abstract artwork on the front i looked up like on the back of the box who it was and is uh have i got this right jean-paul repel is that Re-Opel. Re-Opel. and i understand within montreal he was a hugely important artist tell me a little bit about his background and did you ever get a chance to meet him no because he, he left uh early and i mean he wasn't uh, but he was as big in france that he was in quebec he's like huge the daughter of Riopel always refused to have his artwork on a pop thing or a prog thing or <laughs> even a classical thing but because he was such a fan of harmonium oh wow she said yes so we, we didn't expect it so she went through some of his work the only thing that was suggested to her is, is the multicolor of the music and the, and the arrangements of it. And she picked that one, sent it, and we looked at it and, okay, done. <laughs> Next. And what's weird about it is when I did the launch and, and all the stuff, I, I was at the Hotel Intercontinental in Montreal, right there in front of the hotel. It's Le Parc Jean-Paul Riopel. Never thought about it. So it's like, Yes, things happen, you know. How well has the album been received by the general public? I mean, I know you're you're only selling off the website at the moment, but how's it been going? I mean, are old died in the wool harmonium fans accepting this, or are they saying no? The original for me forever was has it been embraced? Completely, you know, went for it, and we're almost platinum. We just went for it, and I, I'm so so pleased, you know, to uh, that they would. Be happy about it and, and and love it and love the work that was done. All the musicians. That's the touching part. And it, and it was the first time that an album was in any record stores. No streaming. Blah blah blah. It was just our site. The only place you can get it. That's it. Mm. And we broke all the records. We broke all the way of doing things. They wouldn't even recognize us for a prize at Ladzisk and all that until Nicolas Lemieux, the producer, fought for it and said, it's not because we sold a lot. (laughs) We're not allowed to, you know, so creates new ways of doing things. Now, I guess the nice thing is that, shall we say, sort of the traditional classical repertoire, Ammonium Symphonique, can be part of the Montreal Symphony Orchestra's repertoire for years to come. You don't have to be in Montreal and just like five, ten years from now, they can pull this out just like they'd pull out the Beethoven symphony cycle and the works of Fiori as well. Can you imagine that? <laughs> this is, that's why I'm shocked. I'm in shock. I can't imagine that. I just... It's just, you're right, you know, they're, and they're, we're going to do the show starting next June. I was going to ask whether the performing arts are back out and working in Montreal at the moment. They're starting uh, next week. The full audiences can be together. It's going to be the first time in a year and a half. And the orchestra, which we're going to do the, the shows, they won't have to be wearing masks and being six feet. I mean, and uh, spectators also. So next June, we're starting the tour for 
for uh, there. I'm on Yonsen from you. Absolutely magnificent. I'm so excited for you. I hope a performance is streamed. I think we will. It's just like, for, and for us, I want to I wanna keep it. I want to save it. I want to tell you again that I appreciate so much what you're doing right now. Thank you for talking with me. No, but imagine you're at the other end of the spectrum in Australia, which is, again, insane for me. The fact that the music exactly didn't have words for that project makes it that the music now is really universal and that's the, the gift you know? see i've never been frightened at the idea of listening to songs in languages that i don't understand i say right okay the voice is another instrument which is how a lot of musicians actually do consider their voices i mean i might not know what is actually being sung but i can make my own interpretation think oh this sounds like it's a sad tale and the song that i mentioned earlier on, uh, sorry, I'm going to mispronounce it again, which I love. And I thought, all right, I want to know what this sounds like such a sad song, but what's this about? And then I sort of did a Google Translate and found out it was you writing about a lack of respect for uh, people who grow old and they're forgotten about. At least if the translation was something to go by, it's just written so beautifully. And I thought, okay, good. Now I know this one, that's enough. I've never been afraid to listen to songs where I didn't understand because once again, the vocals are part of the music for me. So I think even the original Ammonium albums, to me, they're still part of a universal language. And I reckon I could play this for anyone here who like me doesn't speak any French and they would still say, wow, that's incredible. You're doing things with your voice there, falsetto and there's even when you're not doing falsetto it's still very distinctive and i can't understand why someone would listen to the thing and they nah, i don't understand what he's singing i'm gonna do, i'm gonna i'm gonna throw that away again with that on because uh, all the, the english bands that come to montreal to do their shows most of the audience doesn't speak English, and they don't care but a lot of people in other places do care in the sense that they want the whole experience English with music, you know. But I don't believe in that. We played Canada for I don't know many tours and halls were all filled up and people were even singing the words they didn't understand. So well, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine for me too. Actually, I have more problems in France because of my French accent than anywhere else. <laughs> I know I should be letting you go, but I've still got a couple of questions. One that's just sort of cropped up in my head is, has there been any talk of the symphony being taken up by other orchestras, like either anywhere else in North America and Canada and Europe, dare I say, here by the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra? Has it, have you been approached or has Simon said, you know what, I, let me get on this. I want to see how we can get other orchestras, get the score playing around the world. That would be the ultimate dream, but it's very hard to do another country's symphony orchestra. Very hard. We're working on it. The producers are working on it, but it's it's really hard. Before you, you get into the, the gang. <laughs> you got to go through the business side of it. Yeah, and the whole process, and then the, the analysis. There you go. But I wish. I really hope so. My final thing to you then is, outside of next June's performances of Histoire Saint-Paul, what is next for you like creatively? Are you writing any new music? I know you You've been on the record saying that you didn't continue with Ammonium because you said, right, I've said all I have to say. But have you now had a new lease of life? And I'm not necessarily saying we're getting a rock band together. Would you compose something orchestrally? Would you compose something for a band? What are you looking at doing new? Are you looking at doing anything new? I think you won't you won't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually doing what you're doing, which is I have a new TV series of interviews, with, and I'm the interviewer oh. with the best artists in Quebec. An hour and a half big interview with each one of them uh, that we will be on uh, the internet. As uh, Again, the same thing as I'm on Yom Symphonic, it's on site. Uh, we've been doing that all summer. There's, uh, there's 13 episodes. There's four left that I have to do in the next month. 
And if you would have told me that I would do that in my life, I would never believe you. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and all the people are coming to Lac Saint-Jean, which is really far. And they all said... Will it be subtitled for idiots yeah. like me? Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. When is this supposed to uh, make its debut? After Christmas, because we're going to do the whole uh, montage and set up and all that. And uh, we'll announce it slowly. And... Will you be speaking or have you spoken with any of the musicians from the bands who we mentioned at the beginning, like from October and Slosh, any of those sorts of musicians or, or, or others, more contemporary musicians? Yeah, like one of them is Louis-Jean Cormier that I worked on on my, the circus project and he's the biggest star now in, in Quebec and uh, so, so talented. But it's politicians, it's actress. Okay, not just musicians, okay. Oh, no, uh, humorists uh, all over the place. In the last five years, I did so much interviews that I was fed up talking about myself. I can't stand <laughs> Oh, thank you for talking to me about yourself. Oh, I know, but that's not what I mean. <laughs> no, this is special. That's not what I mean. I wanted just to reverse the process. And I'm curious about people, how they do their thing. You know, like comedians or actors. It's hard to get into a role. So uh, that's what I'm doing. Thank you so much for your time of being on the show. Really, really appreciate it. I appreciate it. And uh, you're, you're very generous. You're extremely intelligent questions, which, which is so great. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I see. See you again. I really hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And I also hope that if you came into this episode not knowing anything about Harmonium, that you are now a fan or are at least tempted to go out and listen to their own music or maybe even listen to Harmonium Symphonique, the new album. The details for ordering it, should you choose to do so, will be provided in the show notes for this episode. Thanks once again to Serge for being such a wonderful guest. So after a couple of months of interview Love That Albums, I'm going back to the regular sort of roundtable discussion type of format of the show. I'll be joined by someone who's new to the Love That Album co-hosting hot seat. His name is Anthony Rotuno. Now, Anthony is the host of, I think, three podcasts, but... I know him primarily from an excellent show that he does called Glass Onion on John Lennon. Anthony's Facebook site for the podcast describes it as a podcast on the life, music and psychology of John Lennon. It really is up there with the best of the Beatles related podcasts out there. Trust me, there are a lot of Beatles-focused podcasts. Do a bit of a search, find Glass Onion on John Lennon on your podcast catcher of choice Catch up with a few episodes of Anthony's show before he comes on to Love That Album next month. So it won't surprise you, because he's a music fan, that he likes other musicians besides John Lennon and the Beatles. Coming on to Love That Album gave him the opportunity to pick something else, something that he didn't have to focus on for every one of the episodes of his own show. And he suggested to me, and this is going back to last year, this has been a long time in the planning. My apologies, Anthony, my fault completely. He suggested that we talk about Nick Drake. And it really came as a surprise to me that I haven't done anything Nick Drake related on the show up to this point. But possibly that was because some part of my psyche knew that I was waiting for Anthony to come along and say, hey, can I come on the show and talk about Nick Drake? So we'll be focusing on Nick's first album, Five Leaves Left. But the truth of it is, we'll probably be talking a lot about Nick's life and all the rest of his music as well. But the main focus will be on Five Leaves Left, the debut album. So until next month, I urge you, please be nice to yourself. Please be nice to other people. Listen to some great music as well while you're at it. All the best. Until next month, cheers. Si c'est
ça sera pas long J'espère ici de ça s'en vient Si c'est rêve, réveille-moi donc Ça va être là tout, ça sera pas long J'espère ici de ça s'en vient Love Target? Well, you're about to love it even more. With Target's Red Card Debit Card, you'll save 5% every Target trip, on top of everyday low prices, in-store and online. Debit Red Card links from your existing bank account. Visit Target.com slash Red Card to get all the details. Restrictions apply. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.